am I going to have to suffer? And one of the things that I want to encourage you in is, is perhaps that suffering is the ability of God to demonstrate his mercy and his grace to you to amplify who Christ is in our life. In a moment, we're going to be taking a look at these couple of verses, and uh, lovingly what I would encourage you to do is just continue to read on in chapter 5, uh, because there is so much rich theology in it, but then also practical application on how we're to live our lives for Jesus Christ. But the question that we're going to ask this morning is this, when there is so much suffering in the world, how do we find hope? And I've said this before, anybody, anybody take time to watch the news lately? Anyone? I honestly, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've started turning it off. I, I just, I've just started removing myself from it. I'm not trying to escape, but I'm to, to, to look at it and to go forward and see what's going on in our world. You look just locally, and then you hear what's going on in our nation, and then you hear the challenges that are happening globally, and you hear all of these potential movements, the struggles that we're seeing uh, in Israel, the struggles that we're seeing potentially with China and potentially their desire to expand, the issues in the Ukraine. You know, you just add all of that up, and you begin to think, holy cow, what's going to happen where is God in all of this? And then you think through, well, all of that's happening, and then perhaps maybe some of you, as you've raised your hand, you're dealing with something right now internally in your own life, and you're thinking, where is the joy and the rest and the mercy and the grace of God in all of these things? And interestingly enough, in this passage, Paul is going to say some things that are going to help us understand that perhaps suffering is the very means by which we experience the true grace of God. But on the front side of it, if you come forward and you say, how many of you want a dose of suffering, right? If I were to come to you right now and just say, hey, I've got a big bowl of suffering right here. Would you like to partake in it? How many of you would come forward and be like, oh sure, I'd love to do that. But let me change this for a minute. What if I were to tell you, and this is what we're going to see in Paul's writing, what if I were to tell you resting and enjoying the boundless grace of God is right over here. But in order to get there, you must first come forward and have a dose of suffering. Now how many of you would come forward? You see the difference? And here's why I want to talk to you about this, because oftentimes in our life with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we come forward and we put our faith and trust in Him, and we look at grace, and we see grace, and we know we have grace, but it's this conceptualized idea. It's not real in our life. And so what God does is, in order for us to truly grasp the grace of God, He comes forward and He says, my son... My daughter, I'm going to have you endure suffering so that you might persevere to build your character to where you truly understand my grace. And interestingly enough, does that story sound familiar? My son, I'm going to have you endure suffering so that you might extend grace to the world. 
And if we're followers of Jesus Christ, if we're Christians, individuals who are exemplifying Christ, shouldn't our lives reflect that in how we go about our daily living? We're going to take a look. And um, as you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be reading these first couple of verses. But before we do, I want to make sure that we kind of see where we're falling in these verses. And Paul has been writing, and essentially in chapter 3, he's been talking about God's faithfulness. What he's doing is he's refuting the idea of the Old Testament sacrificial system. He's saying, look, what I'm going to tell you is, is while we had sacrifice, while we had the law, while it was there, I want to remind you that many people thought that what that was doing was bringing righteousness to themselves, making them essentially okay before God. But what I want to do and what I want you to see is this. In chapter 3, verse 19, Paul writes, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that they are the very mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, there is no one to be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And so what Paul is saying is, is look, these things that you try to do to make yourself righteous, these things that you try to do to make yourself approvable to God, they're simply there to demonstrate to you that you're sinful and you're in desperate need of a Savior. You're in desperate need of the grace of God. And so through chapter 3 all the way into chapter 4, basically Paul is building this argument that it is by faith that we are brought forward before God, by trusting in the sacrifice that Jesus gave, the grace of God. And in that, what we have to discover is that we are saved by grace through faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus. And for those of us today that have a relationship with Christ, we might know that. But then what we need to recognize is in those moments of challenge and in those moments of struggle, we're going to see in a minute that Paul will write that we are to stand in God's grace. And so what I want to ask you is simply this. When you are struggling, when you are going through a challenge, how many of you are standing in the grace of God and resting in the grace that God has given, knowing and believing that whatever might be going on around you is the purpose of God to display his love, his mercy and grace in you, to persevere, to build your character, to bring joy into your life. That's what we're going to see in a minute. We're going to take a look. We're in uh, chapter 5, and essentially, again, Paul's been talking about faith, and he's been seeing how we are justified by our faith in Jesus. And then, in doing so, he transitions right in chapter 5, and he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And don't miss that. And now... We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Why? He continues on and he says, 
because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. It's interesting because Paul is writing and he's saying, here's the deal. I'm going to tell you that essentially we have been justified by faith. And don't forget that. We've got to build on that in a minute to truly understand the gift of God that we've been given. But then afterwards he says, so in this, in our suffering, recognize that perhaps what God is doing is he's building your character. Perhaps he's demonstrating who he is to you so that you will persevere, you will demonstrate the love, the mercy, and the grace of God to others. And don't ever forget, no matter what is going on, we're going to see in a moment, you have been given the Holy Spirit, which is a seal of God's love for you, a deposit saying, you are mine. Now, there's a couple of big words in here, and what I want to do is I want to take a minute and I want to go through some things. Um, the first thing that I want, want to talk about, right? We see, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, right? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk about peace. Interestingly enough, now the idea here, the context of how peace is utilized in this, it's not speaking of sort of I'm at peace or rest. It's actually to the contrary. It is a militaristic term. We are now at peace with the God of whom we were waging war. That's so important to see. Because what we need to understand is apart from Jesus Christ, apart from having our faith and trust in him, we are at war with God. We are God's enemy. Now back that up by just a few verses down in Romans 5, chapter 10. Paul says that very thing. He says, for when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And so friends, one of the things that I want to tell you is this, to realize the fact that apart from Jesus Christ, we are enemies of God. We are at war with him. And so what God has done is given us our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by his love and his mercy and grace to bring peace to that war, to reconcile us back to God. And so one of the things that we need to realize is this. God, I once was your enemy. I once waged war with you but you, through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, brought about peace to this relationship. The other thing that I'll talk about, and, and one of the things that I want to encourage you in, we hear this word justified, right? Okay. Real quick, I want to just sort of share this with you so I understand what's going on here, the transaction that's, that's happening. Justified, or justification, is God's act of removing the guilt and penalty of sin while at the same time making the sinner righteous through Christ's atoning sacrifice. Essentially, it's to declare innocent, guiltless, absolve, or acquit. Now, 
Why is that important? Because so often in our world we'll hear these words that basically God or Jesus exists to make a good person better. It's an add-on. Hey, you're fine. You're doing okay. You come to Jesus. He's just going to make things better for you. And nothing could be further from the truth. We have to know and recognize that apart from Christ, we are dead in our sin and we are guilty of it. In a legal transaction, we've heard this, we see this, essentially in the court of God, we would stand before him apart from Jesus Christ and God would declare all of us guilty in our sin. Paul says it earlier in Romans. He says there is no one righteous, not even one. And so in that, we need to remember and recognize that because of what God has done, we have peace with God. Not because of ourselves, but because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Essentially, what I would tell you is this. Picture yourself in a courtroom and picture essentially God as the judge sitting there and you are moving forward trying to give a defense. You're trying to tell God, hey, this is why I think I'm good enough to get into heaven. And as you move forward, what happens is, is God displays all of your actions all of the things that you have done, and to be honest with you, there's probably some good things there. But then the next thing you know, the accuser comes forward, who is none other than the enemy, Satan, and says, but let me show you the bad things that this person has done. And lovingly, what I want to tell you right now is how many of you would want your life displayed before the court for all to see? The reality is, is we are all guilty, and the accuser would come forward and say, see, this person isn't worth your holiness, your life, your love, your mercy, and your grace. And interestingly enough, what would happen in this scenario is God the judge would be essentially moving to put the gavel down and give the sentence. And the sentence is guilty. But interestingly enough, what we have to recognize is just before the gavel comes down, our defense attorney comes in and says, hey judge, can I talk to you for a minute? And the two, they go up, they have their conversation. And it, here's what's, what's, what's interesting is that defense attorney is Jesus. And God being the judge is the father. They have a little conversation. He says, I know that guy. I know that girl. It's okay. I'll pay for what they owe. And so God comes forward and he says, you know, we've had a little change in the scenario here. We've had a change in the accusation. Christ has come forward and he's willing to pay for the debts that are owed by this individual, by you. And now I declare you not guilty. But better yet, maybe remember, not only are we not guilty, not only are we not guilty of our sin, but then after that, we're not just removed from the courtroom. God doesn't just say to us, hey, that's fine, now get out of here, I never want to see you again. What do we know in Scripture? We're ushered into the presence of God. We're given all of the blessings of God. We're given the kingdom of God. So now you're ushered out of essentially the courtroom and you're not going to the jail cell, but rather you're not just left to go out onto the street. The judge says, come forward and eat. Be. That's because of what God has done for us. And so on the cross, because of what Christ has done, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we become justified. We are declared innocent. We are guiltless. We are absolved of our sin. Our sins have been acquitted. No more do we need to worry about them. 
But interestingly enough, you've heard me say before, this word reconciled. Reconciliation essentially is either a relational term or it's also a business term. How many of you remember reconciling your, your, your budget, right? Your credits and your debits, right? Anybody do accounting, okay? The budget's reconciled. How many of you have ever reconciled a relationship, right? Once things were good, things were torn apart, and now they've become reconciled. Well, why would God use the word, or Paul use the word, speaking for God, reconciliation? Friends, what we have to remember in this is that our relationship with God in Adam and Eve has become torn apart. But yet God, through his love, his mercy, and his grace, reconciles us back to himself through Jesus. Through Christ's death on the cross and his willingness to go before us. And when we place our faith and trust in God because of what Christ has done, we are now reconciled to a right relationship with him. Reconciliation is an element of salvation that refers to the results of the atonement. Reconciliation is the end of the estrangement caused by original sin between God and humanity. Now, God is the author of this reconciliation. Christ is the agent. He is the one who brings it about, and we are the ambassadors of that reconciliation. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. Can I ask you just a quick question? How many of you have ever gone before someone and told them that you are grateful to God because your relationship has been reconciled? Wouldn't it be more interesting if we went before people and said, you know, I once was lost, but now I'm found? That's exactly what that statement is saying. I've been reconciled back to God. And then in that, you've heard this word atonement. And atonement is kind of a fancy way of someone paying our debts. Atonement refers to the needed reconciliation between sinful mankind and a holy God. And that's so important to see. This reconciliation is possible through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, as expressed in Romans 3.25 and Romans 5.11, as well as Romans 5.19. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, atonement is the Bible's central message. In the Old Testament, atonement for sin was achieved through the sacrifice of a bull and a goat. And what we've come to recognize is, is while it was achieved, it was futile, wasn't it? In the New Testament, Christ offers himself as that sacrifice. Christ, the sinless lamb, took upon himself our sins so that we might receive the atonement for our sins and be reconciled back to God. That's all happening in this first part of the passage. And so when Paul is writing, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All of what we've just talked about has, is occurring. Christ the agent reconciles us back to God and we are no longer at war with him, but we are at peace with a holy God. And then interestingly enough, we move to verse 2. Through whom we have gained access by faith. Now think about this for a minute, because Paul is referring essentially back to the Old Testament form of sacrifice. 
How would you gain access to God in the Old Testament? We've learned that in the book of Hebrews. One time a year, the high priest would move forward into the Holy of Holies and sacrifice an animal in an attempt to atone for our sin, pay for our sin. And what we've learned is, is year after year, as they would do that, Everybody would get excited, but what we come to discover was the reason they were doing it year after year after year after year after year after year was because it never was able to fully, what? Cleanse us from within. We hear in the words of the author in Hebrews that we were cleansed on the outside. We looked good on the outside, but we were still guilty within. And so Paul is taking advantage of this and he's saying, look, Christ has died And in the one time, the one sacrifice that Christ has given, the one and done, being the best of the best, as we learn back in the book of Hebrews, we can forget all of the rest, and we are now justified holy. And rather than having to have a high priest go in and do that for us, we are justified by our faith, by placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so watch this. This is interesting. He says, um, into this grace, right, in which we now stand. Now there's, 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 it's both and in this. It's not an either or, but I want to explain this to you. Into this grace of which we now stand. It is theological, Okay? It is true, it is real, we are in the grace of God, and we stand in it positionally. But also what Paul is doing is he is moving to demonstrate to those individuals that they can stand in the grace of God before him, holy and reconciled, uh, reconciled without fear. Why? Because if we remember back in the Old Testament... The only person that could stand, if they were lucky, before God was what? The high priest, one time a year. And you've heard me talk about how he had to have a rope tied around him. He had bells on his wrists and on his feet. And honestly, if things didn't go well, we had an Indiana Jones incident. So no one would want to approach God and stand before him other than the high priest. And so... He's saying, look, because you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, you're justified, you're declared righteous, you're no longer guilty of your sin, you have access to God because of your faith, and now you can stand in God's grace. Now, I also want to take a minute and I want to show you this. We move and we'll say this is where we can stand in God's grace. That statement, stand in his grace, is permanent. Please hear me on this. Permanent. It's not that you stand there and then you're removed. It's not that you try to attain. It's not that you get kicked out. And why is that important? Because of what's going to follow next. You stand in the grace of God watching what will occur as he speaks about suffering. 
Isn't it interesting that he says we stand in the grace of God, but then right after that, he starts talking about suffering in Christ? So friends, what I want to encourage you in is as you are suffering, positionally realize that you stand within the grace of God permanently, and you will not be removed from it. Verse 2, essentially, because we've been made at peace with God, the peace allows us to stand in grace before holy God. You could not do this apart from Jesus Christ. You can't do this apart from Jesus Christ. You approach God apart from Jesus, it's not going to be a good thing. But through Jesus, because of God's grace, you can stand within it and approach a God with confidence because of what Christ has done. And then we transition into this, okay? Paul says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. I, I want to throw this out to you, and I want to I challenge you, because I will be honest with you. I'm learning and I'm growing. I'm not excited about suffering. I'm not like, woohoo, I can't wait to suffer. But what I am learning as I walk with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that in those moments when I do, those moments when I am, I can look before God and realize, God, you are doing something way bigger than I can possibly imagine, and ultimately this is for my good. Because of what follows next. And so what we see in verse 3 is, through a process of suffering, God can bring about a rejoicing and hope. Let me ask you, I've said this before, how many of you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, been going in life, doing your thing, and to no fault of your own, right? Something occurs. A health problem, a relational issue, uh, maybe a, a job challenge, a struggle, or maybe a combination of those things. And you're sitting there and you're going, why is this happening? I don't get this. I don't know what you're doing, God. Where are you? And why have you left me? Right? Well, interestingly enough, Paul continues on, and, and, and notice this, because it compounds as he builds on suffering. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. How many of you have heard of the long suffering of God? That's essentially what's being spoken about right here. It produces perseverance. You continue on in your relationship with him as you positionally stand in his grace. And then what? Perseverance produces character and character hope. We'll get to that in just a minute. This is what I want to say about this. Out of the experience of suffering comes proven character. This proven character moves us towards hope. As more trials come, our faith grows stronger. As our faith grows stronger, so does our hope. This hope is now anchored in the promises of God, not the temptations of the world. And essentially what I'm saying there is this. How many of you, after having gone through suffering, trusting in Christ, persevering with him, has your faith been built stronger? 
Is your character stronger? I'll tell you this, okay? Anytime, and twice on Sundays, I will go to someone who I know has gone through something hard, who has struggled with something, but yet their proven character is that they have remained steadfast with Christ, resting on his grace when I'm in need of counsel or advice. Because that character has been proven. That character is real. That character has produced a hope that resonates from within. And so one of the things that I want to encourage you in, at the very least, is perhaps maybe your suffering is an encouragement to me as your pastor to continue moving forward, preaching and teaching God's word, recognizing, wow, that person's character is what drives me forward. That person's character, as they walk with Jesus in whatever it is that they might be struggling with, is what encourages me as a pastor to recognize and realize that his promises are real, that he is true. And so interestingly enough, we continue on and we see in verse 4, like I've said, because suffering leads to perseverance, which produces character and character produces hope. It's a compounding effect. But notice, like I said before, it must first start with suffering. Earlier I talked to you and I said, how many of you would like to come forward and have a big dose of suffering? And logically, I would say the same thing. I don't want to suffer. But, as I said, then after, how many of you want to experience the full grace and mercy of God and his promises and his reality recognizing that in order to fully know that and see that and be blessed by it, that road must first go through suffering. How many of you would come forward and say, Father, if that's the case, then may I suffer whatever it might be for you because I want to know your mercy and your grace more and more in my life. Interestingly enough, if we move to the point of hope, Okay? This is so interesting. We talk about the hope of God. And here's where I want to just demonstrate why suffering can be so important. Hope in God without having something that we need to hope for is what? It's bogus. It's not real. But yet if we suffer, if there's challenges in our life, if there are areas where we are brought to our limit and we cannot move forward, and we desperately need God, and we stand in his grace, and we persevere, and that builds our character. And as our character is built, it moves us toward hope, the hope of what we now have in a proven God who is with us and does not leave us nor forsake us, who leads us and is a good and holy God, becomes real. Do you see how that works? Our suffering leads to perseverance, which produces character and character hope, all because of the grace of God in which we now stand. And this hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The last point that I'm wanting to, to give that Paul is speaking about, the hope 
does not disappoint because God pours out his love for us by giving us the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Take a minute and, and recognize this. You have a current hope right now. You've been given hope by what we've just talked about. You are no longer guilty of your sin. You are no longer estranged from God. You've been reconciled back to him and that relationship has been made right through Jesus Christ by your faith in him because of the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God in which you now stand. But not only do you have the hope today, you have the hope of the future. Friends, what I want to encourage you in, for those of you that are positionally in Jesus Christ, have, have uh, placed your faith and trust in him, are born again, what I can tell you is this. I promise you that on the day where you draw your last breath on this earth, you will be ushered into your first, first breath in God's kingdom. And that is a promise that God has made. You are his, you are whole, you will not be left nor forsaken. That's the hope. That's the ultimate hope of which, of which we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And interestingly enough, to demonstrate that, to demonstrate God's love for us, as I've talked about this legal transaction, okay, he doesn't just, again, say, fine, you're acquitted, Jesus got you off, now get away from me. What he says is, you are now mine, you are my possession. And to demonstrate that you are my possession, to demonstrate that you are part of my kingdom, I'm going to give you a deposit which is going to seal you as the king's possession. And that deposit is what? The Holy Spirit. You are mine, says God. And so I want to take a minute and I'm going to read this and I'm going to explain a couple of things, okay? Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 demonstrates the importance of the deposit of the Holy Spirit. We read in here, it says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel for your salvation. Having believed, okay? Having believed or having put your faith in Christ, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That is the future hope that Paul is writing about in Romans. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And so as we look at this, one of the things that I want to encourage you in is when you are suffering, when you're wondering, is there hope in God? Why is this happening? Why is this hard? Why am I struggling? God, where are you? May I lovingly say to you, stand in the grace of God of which you have positionally been put in by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ knowing indeed that because of what Christ has done, you are justified, okay? You are no longer at war with God. You are at peace with him now. You've been reconciled back to God. And because of that, you can now stand in grace before a holy God.
But when you suffer, not if, when, remember that God can bring about rejoicing and hope. Because what that will do is it will build perseverance. Okay? How many of you are suffering for an extended period of time? Let's, let's just, how many of you are going through a, a period of suffering that's longer than a week? Anybody out there? Longer than a month. Okay. See? Maybe it's even longer than a year. And you might say, God, why? Perhaps what God is doing is he's building your character to demonstrate his hope, not only to you, to other people. And if you get to a point, and this is what I want to encourage you with, if you get to a point where you're literally at the end of your rope and you're wondering where God is, remember and be reminded indeed that the Holy Spirit that indwells you is the very mark that you are the king's possession. You are his. And you will not be abandoned by our holy God. The take-home truth that I want to leave you with this morning is this. Because of God's sustaining grace, it is all on the sustaining grace of God. Our faith in Christ leads us to peace with him. And because we are at peace with God, that leads us to hope in God, which then leads us to experiencing great God's great love for us. For those of you that are suffering, how many of you can say, I worship a true loving and holy God. And I see hands out there. Okay. Friends, what I want to tell you is this. I, I'm, as a pastor, I'm never excited for suffering. It's not something that I'm like, wow, I can't wait. But what I will tell you is that when we do, God can do great things through us. God will do great things through us because he's deposited the Holy Spirit within us as a seal that we are his possession. And perhaps that suffering is to mature our character in him and our hope in him. Let's take a minute and let's pray. Father, we do come before you this morning. We thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for the fact that we see positionally that we can stand in it because of what Christ has done. But Lord, in that, may we also recognize that perhaps we might be going through something that is hard. We might be suffering. We might be wondering why or where you are. And in that, Lord, may we look to the words that Paul has written. And may we recognize that what God might be doing in our life is demonstrating his character to us so that we might persevere to produce a deeper character in us to then demonstrate the hope of Christ to others. Father, may we recognize that through that we discover more and more of your love and your mercy and your grace to us through the promises of which you have given May we recognize that the Holy Spirit is with us as a deposit demonstrating that we are the King's possession. And may that bring peace to our hearts and peace to our lives as we go through whatever challenges and struggles that might be before us. Father, we thank you for the fact that you will never leave us nor forsake us when you've given us the Holy Spirit. 
We thank you for the hope of what we talk, the hope that we have today, but the hope of the future, remembering and recognizing that ultimately, Lord, this world will fade away, but your kingdom will always stand. And Father, because we've placed our faith and trust in you, we are part of that kingdom. We are inheritance of your kingdom. And Father, may that be what draws our hearts to hope as we go about living our daily lives for you. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus. And we ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say,